Hello everyone and welcome back to Invisible Not Broken. Today I got to talk to Noah who has spina bifida and we talked about a ton of things. Um, we talked about disability from birth and different ways that parents can be helpful or things that parents might want to change to help their kids. Um, we talked about high school and college and accessibility. We discussed combating activism exhaustion when you are constantly having to fight for baseline ADA accommodations and how to handle that. Um, we had a really interesting talk about doctors, therapists, and their ability to empathize if they have not experienced disorders. I really love Noah's answer on this, and Noah is far wiser than I am on this one and on a lot of other things as well. Um, we had a long, fun talk about escape escapism and disability. Um, Noah's a big fan of Big Brother. I have actually never watched it, so I think that's going to be my new thing to take a look at. We are both huge fans of Doctor Who, and there are a few spoilers in there, so if you are not caught up, you might want to keep an ear closed through that part of the conversation. And we talked about the ability to create empathy by reading. And Noah's new favorite books are The Wheel of Time, which I am definitely going to be checking out, and I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Um, Noah is getting a new house. We have a whole little talk about um, housing and accessibility and the things that Noah is the most excited about with the new house in what can be really thought through in house planning to create autonomy. Um, and then, of course, we had a wonderful chat about staying human on social media, which seems to be a theme on this show. And the socialization that we get to experience on social media. It's not all bad. There's a lot of good in social media, and we have a good talk about that. And we also discussed how airlines need a huge redo and how public transportation and Uber need to do better for those of us who are disabled to keep us safe and able to live our lives out in the world. All right. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoy my chat with Noah. And if you can, the kindest thing you can do is to head over to Apple Podcasts, give us some stars, give us some feedback. Um, this is the reboot of the show. So I am very interested in your thoughts. And until next time, be kind, be gentle, and be a badass. So I'm excited to talk to you because I get to talk to you about business, but I never get to talk to you about you. Yeah. And I haven't even got to talk to you about you with business for a long time. So what's new with you? What's going on? Uh, oh boy. What is going on? Um, not a whole lot. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Um, aside from your t-shirt game is on point. I love I, the R2D2 t-shirt. Oh no, this is, this is a dollar. No, it's, it's a dollar t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited. So usually we just talk on Twitter about Dr. Who, so okay. I should have known. Yeah, I have to get a, a new one because I've got a tear <laughs> on the back. And I was so disappointed when it happened. Um, but yeah, yeah, nothing is really new. Um, I, I'm working with a friend of mine right now uh, at our event planning company. And so things are kind of uh, in flux right now. But um yeah, it's, uh, I, I just became an uncle, uh, last Congratulations. Week. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is very exciting. So we're heading down in, uh, a couple of weeks, uh, to go see the baby. Oh my goodness. And what's that? I don't have siblings. Like all of my siblings are people I've adopted through my life. What is it like to like grow up with someone like, and have tortured and been tortured by and grown up with and then see them become like a parent. It is very trippy. It is, <laughs> it is, it, it's honestly so weird um, because for let's say 27 years of uh, our life, it's just been us, you know, um, it was, you know, our family and then, you know, she started dating and, and that was weird. Um, and like, you know, uh, then she moved in with, with, uh, the, the guy that is now my, uh, brother-in-law. And it, it's, it's such a change because it's, it's so weird to know a person in one way and then 
their life kind of goes in a different uh, a different direction. And then you're kind of like, there's, there's this whole other life you're not a part of. Um, so yeah, it, it's very weird. And, you know, they're, they're going to be great parents. Um, I'm, I'm absolutely, uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> I forgot I had a, a rain light that I could turn on. So, um, it makes your skin look gorgeous. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, it's just really weird. They're, they're going to be great parents, but it's something that I, I never envisioned because I, I still, I, I don't even think of myself as an adult. So I still see my sister as that same person that, you know, like you said, that, that teen that you just, you terrorize each other. So my oldest is um, in his twenties now, and he made some little joke about me being a grandmother someday. And I was like, I don't think I trust you with a hamster. I don't know if I'm like even beginning to think of you as like someone who can like do that. Yeah. 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 And I mean, um, my, my parents, I, I think it, it really threw them uh, because growing up, me and my sister were both very much not into kids in any way. Um, like I, I, I remember my sister doing like babysitting and not really enjoying it at all. So when my, when they said, Hey, we're pregnant. Um, my parents were like, like they were stunned for a, a good day. That's cute. <laughs> Yeah, my mom just kept staring at, at the, the sonogram the, the day after. And she was like, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. Um, they, they're very happy and they were very happy. It, it was just such, such a change that we, we didn't see happening. So that's the weird thing about life, isn't it? It's like you, you know someone as something, like you just said, like you know this person as like your sibling, you've known this person your whole life, and all of a sudden they're going to be like someone's entire life for like the next 18 years. Like that's, it's just a crazy thing how we all have to adjust around everyone's decisions. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So we haven't ever talked about disability. We always just talk about the podcast stuff. Um, I'm kind of curious because I I'm getting to this point where now my kids are starting to like date and bring people home and trying to explain my disability to strangers is this new thing because I almost never go out of the house. So I must never have to like interact with other people who don't know I'm disabled. So now these new people are coming in and it's like, I don't know how to really explain this all to strangers. How does that work with you and your family and, and how everything's been changing? Like, are you guys all talking and does everything work out great? Like, give me some tips. <laughs> um, yeah, for me, it's been a long time since I've had the conversation of like what my disability entails with, with the new people. It's, it's not something that I frequently do. Um, and y- usually I just tell people, um, like I, when I was younger, I used to have kids a lot come up to me like at amusement parks and whatnot and say like, you know, what's wrong with you? Um, and I would just say my legs don't work as well as, as yours. Um, and r- really like that's, that's the way that I've always understood my disability anyway. I don't, um, so I have spina bifida. So basically that's a, a spinal cord disorder. I was born with a hole in my spine and, uh, yeah, so I'm paralyzed from the waist down. Uh, and really that's just, that's the way that I've explained it. That's the way that I've just always understood it. I need to really start to learn more about the like neurological aspects. I, I, I know things as like, you know, when things aren't going as well, then, you know, and a doctor's like explaining something that's going wrong with me, then that's when I start to learn more. Um, but I, I, uh, like I said, yeah, that's, that's basically how I've explained it and have understood it all this time. You seem to be like one of the nicest people I've met in a long time. And how did your parents help you with like 
because you were born with your disability. Like we're, we're watching right now. It's like all these long COVID people are like absolutely rightfully having a panic attack about what disability is going to mean now, but you and I were born with stuff. So how did your parents like work with you in ways that you thought were really helpful that you'd like to pass on to other parents or other people who are dealing with disability suddenly? And what didn't work that you would like people to know to do differently? Um, I think that, I, I think the best thing was that um, they still expected a lot Um from me um, for and for years, what that mainly ha- had to do with was uh, my academics. Um, I was always uh, a very studious uh, person. It was always really drilled into both me and my sister that you know uh, education was very important, um, and uh, my parents you know, wanted us to go to college and and do all of that stuff. Um, So I think they really encouraged that in me. Um, They never, like, they never put any um, expectations. Uh, Like, they never pressured us. Like, you know, if, if we got a bad grade, they weren't like, how dare you? Um, but, uh, you know, they, they always encouraged it. And then I feel like I just kind of at a certain point took that on, um, uh, and definitely was a lot harder on myself than they could ever be, uh, in, in that regard. I think, you know, if, if there was one way that, uh, you know, something they could have done differently. I think it took a long time for me to get to a place where uh, uh, I was more independent in like other aspects of my life. Um, And that's still something that as an adult, I'm trying to figure out. And it's definitely been a struggle. Um, But I've been very very lucky uh, that, you know, at least I, I have the drive to, um, you know, uh, the drive to, to push myself to want, uh, want more than other people may uh, think I'm capable of. How did you find the access for school when you were in school? Were you able to go to college? Were you able to do your classes properly? Did the schools figure that out? Um, yeah. So in terms of, uh, I got very lucky. Um, you're going to hear me say that a lot. I think, I think I got very, very lucky when it came to, um, uh, uh, academics, especially, um, uh, of course, like when I was younger, uh, a lot of my parents handled a lot of the battles, so I don't know what really was going on behind the scenes, um, like before I entered like junior high and, and started going to IEP meetings. Um, but then like going into high school, when I started like really communicating with my teachers, I never felt like I was, I was fighting too much of a battle to get things that I needed. Um, I certainly know like, friends that I had in high school had battles with teachers that weren't following IEPs and, you know, it it was really nasty um, for them. Um, But I, yeah, I never really had that much of an issue. And then college, college was rough um, because, and not so much in terms of the academics, um, but the school, uh, about two weeks before I started, uh, the disability coordinator said that I would need someone on campus with me uh, at all times. And that was something that threw us in, in, in retrospect, I needed someone with me, but we were gonna try and, and figure out like 
let's let's figure out someone that can like drive me to school and then let's see if I can do on campus by myself. And and that's what we wanted to give a go. Um, but then uh, they said we couldn't do that. So it was very stressful trying to find someone that could commit to driving me to school go and basically being on campus with me for four to six hours. Like even the people that we eventually found would tell you that it was a, it was a pretty boring day to just be sitting around while I was in class. Um, uh, so yeah, that was a constant struggle, just trying to find people. And then we had people quit on us and, um, my mom really took a lot of that on, uh, uh, you know, in, and I, I kind of feel like I dropped the ball at that, at that time. Cause my mindset was, I do the academics, she's figuring out this thing and like, we're working as a team. Um, but you know, it was definitely something that stressed her out and, and kind of having the added weight of not really knowing whether or not I'd even be able to go, you know, um, from semester to semester was, was a very taxing thing that I think, uh, then when I ended up dealing with just the stress of school, that, that was kind of like an added, added weight, um, but, but again, I will say that even in, with all of my professors, I never had a problem getting the accommodations that I needed. I literally had one professor, um, I hadn't given her my letter for my accommodations within the first few days of class. And she was like, do you have one? And I was like, oh, yeah. She's like, then give it to me so I can give you what you need. Um, so yeah, and again, in, in that respect, I, I got very lucky and I know again, lots of people that it's just constantly, it was constantly that battle for them. And, you know, I just, it's something that I, I don't get. I'm just glad that, uh, that it worked out for me. I'm understanding correctly. You not only have to pay tuition, which um, you're a lot younger than I am. So I'm assuming your tuition was not a negligible amount, but did you have to pay for this person that they insisted you have with you the whole time? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I got uh, benefits from like the department of human services and, and whatnot. And then of course uh, uh, social security. Um, so you know, luckily we were able to afford it. Um, but yeah, it, it was another kind of thing that it was like with, with the school, we were kind of upset. Like you can't help us find someone. Like there are literal nursing students that, you know, are at your school that you can't like put like a, an advert out and um and they were like no we can't do that it's a liability uh and it's like okay but you want us to have to make the liability you know which you know of course of course you know I mean it seems like the liability is not having an accessible school that's that's the first part <laughs> it's no, like sure. I, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that they've had to drop out of college because it snows and their schools aren't accessible and their wheelchairs couldn't get through the snow on the ice. Oh yeah. Yeah. And there, there were a couple of winters that were, um, that were pretty, uh, uh, pretty bad. And, and then, you know, if they didn't get to luckily, my campus was incredibly small, so there wasn't mm. a lot of places. Um, like I had the the main the main building uh, 
that I had most of my classes in, uh, that was always usually pretty clear. Um, it was only there, there was a library that I had some classes by and, and that wasn't always, uh, uh, you know, plowed or shoveled. Um, but luckily something that I've learned from my parents is you just got to keep bugging people, uh, just sending, sending those emails and hoping they care enough to, you know, just do something about it and not just tell you to go away. Um, and yeah, so, and so luckily, uh, I was able to get people to act, uh, which was great. You're right. You do say lucky a lot. And I've noticed that with most of us in the disability communities, I don't think there's a more generous or kind community, but it's amazing how many of us feel lucky, like, and how the, the outside world views us as opposed to how we view ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it, it sucks to have to feel lucky or grateful for people doing something that, like you said, because you're disabled, um, you wouldn't think twice about like, of course, these things have to be taken care of. And, and why wouldn't you uh, do something about it? You know, um, and yeah, it, it just kind of sucks that uh, other people kind of see it as, you know, well, what's in it for me? What 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 do I get out of helping you? And you know, and I've heard plenty of times, you know, because I go online and I read things and get into conversations that I probably shouldn't. Uh, yeah, right. Oops. Um, <laughs> See, <laughs> Twitter is a very entertaining hellscape. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I do Twitter. I do Reddit and... Uh, it's it's not not great for the blood pressure, um, but it does help my pots though. Amazing when I have low blood pressure, I can go on Twitter and just like normalize it so fast. Perfect, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It it just boggles my mind sometimes how how much people need to like be able to get something out of it or feel like oh we're we're wasting money on you people. It's just like, you know, I don't, I don't get it. I'm, I'm never going to get it, but uh, what can you do? So how do you combat the exhaustion of activism? Like I just had a thing with my doctor's building and um, both my doctor's building, my cardiologist building and the place I go to relocate my bones building do not have wheelchair access. And I'm not kidding. The wheelchair, the disabled parking spaces in front of stairs and right. there's no way to get a wheelchair into the bathrooms. Yeah. There's no grab bar and the lock for the bathroom stalls at the top. So mm -hmm. I tried to call up and like, I called the ADA office. I'm like, Hey, this is obviously a problem. It's a doctor's building. What can we do? And they're like, yeah, we, there's nothing there. There's absolutely nothing we can do. And the exhaustion of just constantly fighting for the ability to exist in the world pre COVID it's getting, I feel like it's getting a little easier to get people to listen to me now, but pre COVID I was so tired. How do you deal with that? Like exhaustion? <laughs> Um, you know, I, I, I think like with anything, I, I just do the, the, the normal things that people do. I, 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 I try to not get too, like if I'm, if I'm getting too heated, like I go read a book, I, I watch TV, like, because, and, um, you know, I, um, I uh, am in a position right now where, uh, like, if I have to go to a doctor's appointment, my parents are always with me because I don't drive. Um, so it's something that we figure out together. But I mean, in the in the times where I've been talking, um, like I. 
okay, well, here's, here's a perfect example. Um, I, uh, so we moved to South Carolina a year ago and I've been in therapy for the past three years. And so I had to find a new therapist when, uh, when we moved. And so I contacted this one place and I set up a meeting and they send me the confirmation email. And, you know, it has the directions about how to get there and where to go when you get there. And uh, on the email, it says, uh, when you go in the door, there's stairs to your left, go up there, and then there's the waiting room. So I uh, email the guy and I'm like, I noticed uh, it didn't say anything about an elevator. Where is it? Uh, and he says, unfortunately, we don't have an elevator, but we do have a room on the lower level uh, that we can use. So it was a red flag to me, but I was like, okay, let's give this a try. Uh, so I go for my appointment. The guy comes down the stairs and uh, it's this, I, when you go in the door, it's this small little corridor, like very tiny. And there's the stairs and he comes down the stairs and he's like, oh yeah, we're going to go in here. And right in front of me is a door to another waiting room that I assumed was for some other business. And he, uh, he goes to open the door, it's locked. So he's like, you know what, I'm going to go around the front and I'll let you in. And he does that. And he's taken quite a long time. And suddenly uh, I start hearing chatter. And what I quickly come to realize is that uh, he didn't have permission to use that room. Yeah. And what he explained to me after like five, 10 minutes of me sitting there uh, is that uh, there was certain paperwork that needed to be filled out for him to be able to use that room. And he didn't know that he didn't do his due diligence. And, uh, so that was one of the lowest points of my life. <laughs> um, just kind of sitting there and, and, uh, kind of being like, you know, because then the the thoughts start going of, well, if I wasn't disabled, this wouldn't have happened. I I would be able to go to my appointment, no problem. And it was just kind of really uh, talking to my parents about what I was feeling in that moment. Um, I had a friend that I talked to uh, that she was kind of like, well, I get what you're saying, but like, this isn't your fault. This is, this is something he didn't do. And why should you feel shame for that? And so, uh, you know, it, most of the time, if I vent my feelings, I feel a, a little bit better too. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I just kind of have to distract myself. I, I wish there was a better way to deal with it. Um, but yeah. Do you think that, I mean, this might be a bad question, but we can ignore it if it's bad. Um, <laughs> do you think that your therapist can be a good therapist if they don't have disability? Like I, I I'm always a little hesitant on doctors who have to look up my disorder on Google or, you know, I, I don't see a therapist cause I honestly can't afford it in the U S um, especially in my area, they charge like a thousand dollars to oh, just cool. have an intake appointment. And I'm like, I'm not paying a thousand dollars to see if we're compatible. Um, right. but like, it's such a hard thing to explain. And this is what I love doing invisible, not broken is I get to talk to other disabled people. It's like, there's this huge chasm that we don't have to climb to talk. Like there's, you know, some things that we might not understand about each other, but there's things that we just kind of get that I feel like I'd spend at least six months trying to explain to a therapist who hasn't experienced chronic pain. I like even talk to my pain doctors, like my, my pain clinic, they don't get it. None of them have been in chronic pain. They just got their license and they're there going, wow, that sounds bad. <laughs> like, 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely. So both of my therapists that I've had uh, are not are not disabled. Um, the therapist I have now is diabetic and he does deal with a lot of health issues. So, um, you know, I, I feel like he has a better understanding of where I'm coming from. Um, I think, I think it's just important that someone's willing to listen, uh, to uh, listen and learn, you know, um, because therapists, they deal with people from all different types of, of backgrounds that I think, you know, with anybody, it's more important. Um, certainly it helps if they're disabled, if you're disabled, but I think as long as they're willing to have an open mind and they're, they're not always trying to... Um, they're not always trying to assure you like, oh, people, people aren't staring at you because, you know, you're disabled. Like they probably don't even care. No, like a therapist that's like, I understand why you feel that way. Um, and I agree that people can be uh, shitty. Like, I feel like there's, there's um, as long as they're, able to do that and they're not constantly um because like a lot of times with like cognitive behavioral therapy they're always trying to get you to like reroute your thoughts or you know think differently reframe um and i i feel that as long as they're coming at it from a point of i don't experience this but i understand uh I, I understand the viewpoint that you're bringing forth and I validate that, you know, I, I think that's a, a good starting point. That's a really nice way to, to phrase that. I like that. <laughs> so we need to talk about that shirt because okay. I have a dear and deep love of Doctor Who that runs like into the DNA. I could probably recite most of the episodes. I also have a lot of issues with it. I, okay. I feel like I get to love it and also have a um, few moments of issues. Uh, how do you feel like about the disability and how it's, how it's used? Disabilities tend to be used in geek nerd culture of like Marvel superheroes, Doctor Who, science fiction. How do you feel that, that we're being shown in these worlds? Um, I definitely, so uh, I'll admit I'm not, deeply entrenched in nerd culture doctor okay pretty much <laughs> it. but but i do know like the constant trope of like if you're gonna have a villain then they have to be ugly they gotta be like disfigured and and you know um like they're presented uh like if you look at uh davros mm-hmm. uh, exactly who i was thinking of <laughs> Yeah, like this diseased human being that is also evil. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's outdated. Um, you know, I, I wish that they could, uh, you know, make more compelling victims, like, uh, or victims, villains. Um, yeah. No, I totally hear you. It's, um, it, it just seems like we get two tropes. Either we're desperate to get out of our wheelchairs all ugly, or right. our disabilities have driven us into this insane monster, um, Morbius, or, you know, like any of the, <laughs> just go for anything in the Marvel universe and disability, limb loss, um, chronic pain has driven the person into villainhood. And it's such an exhausting trope. I'm tired. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, but I do yeah. love Doctor Who. I love it. I I do like. I love every episode almost, and like I I love the escapism of the whole idea. I mean, I I just half am always listening for a TARDIS. You know, it'd be great to hear that out in the backyard sometimes. <laughs> Except the run part, that would definitely be a problem. Yeah, yeah. I just saw. Uh, because, you know, I, I don't know if you've seen any of the photos 
from the 60th. Like, I don't know if you've been paying attention to any of the leaks. Uh, I, I just saw who our new doctor is. Oh, okay. Makes me so uh, happy. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, well, spoilers for anyone that doesn't want to know anything about the 60th. Yeah, uh, sorry, everyone. <laughs> Wilf is coming back. And uh, sorry, who's coming back? Uh, Wilf, Donna's uh, uh, dad. Oh, I love him. Yeah, me I too. love him so much. Yeah, I, his line about being a soldier and never having killed anyone, and he says that like like that should be something shameful. Like I just I love his whole character arc. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I love Wolf. He's he was a great, uh, great kind of uh, companion for series four. Um, and you know he is getting up in age now, so he's using a wheelchair. Uh, there there was a photo of. David Tennant pushing him in a wheelchair. And so I commented, like, I, I hope he gets a ride in the TARDIS. Like, I hope there's there's like a ramp that like comes out or something. I mean, uh, that'd make me so happy. Right. right? I mean, the yeah. time words have to have, you know, made uh, adjustments to their TARDISes now, right? Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm hoping they uh do something wild with him because that would be really cool to see a wheelchair user just like running away from some Daleks. My wheelchair only goes to level four, which means that my dog has to do like a little bit of a gallop to keep up. I, I don't think I can outrun a Dalek in that chair. <laughs> yeah. I, I just don't think yeah. that would work. <laughs> Probably not. And I have a deep hatred of anyone pushing me like even my husband or my kids like I don't like anyone pushing my wheelchair but David Tennant I might make an exception for right I mean I what can I say I am a child of of that era and right <laughs> so you talked a lot about escapism and I am the biggest fan in the world of escape um, I do chronic pain every day all day and sometimes my painkillers don't even get close so it's full-blown Doctor Who marathons and other things what do you use for escape uh wow yeah so i uh so aside from doctor who my main obsession is big brother uh which i've seen you tweeting about that yes i oh just you wait when <laughs> this i've never hit, seen it never okay. watched it it's basically like survivor but in a house uh and it goes for three months so when a big brother season is on like that is all i will tweet about and i i tweet even more now than like a couple of years ago just because i found the online big brother community um one of my closest friends is uh a woman i met who uh i i met playing an online version of big brother um yeah yeah, so like I'm I'm completely entrenched. I I watch Big Brother. I watch Big Brother Canada. Uh, I just started Big Brother Australia, so like I am I'm all in. Um, and it it's I think the thing that I like the most about it is the whole community aspect. I love the fandom. Um, I love listening to podcasts about Big Brother and, and kind of getting involved in the conversations. Oh, bless you. No, uh, sorry. I can't keep food down. Like it's been like no. days. Oh, no. It's much grosser than sneezing. Sorry. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, yeah, I, I love getting into conversations about like the strategy of the game. Um, and And that really helps. That really helps me kind of be able to escape and, and focus my energy in places that are more um, positive uh, that are kind of, you know, it, it's focusing on something that's kind of silly, but at the same time, it's kind of beautiful that, you know, uh, that people can kind of rally around uh, something like Big Brother and care about it so much. Um, 
that it really helps when I need to escape. Um, and then of course I love video games. Um, I love to read. I just, uh, I've been reading this fantasy series called the wheel of time. Uh, and I started that back in December and I'm about halfway through. Um, and so that's been, that's been great. That's been, it, it brings me back to, uh, you know, when I was 11 years old and, and, reading Harry Potter for the first time. Uh, it's my new Harry Potter, thank God, so. I'm excited. I, I have never heard of The Wheel of Time, so I will I will definitely put that into my reading list. Yeah, it's it's a great epic fantasy series. It, it's a big commitment. It's 14 books, and I'm on okay. book eight. Um, That's, I mean, like, every single part of my house looks like this. It, yeah. It's Our whole house is like, anything that's a flat surface is a library. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I have a lot of books and, and they're all, uh, in a box out in the garage now, but I'm hoping once we get our new house built that I can maybe get a bigger bookshelf and, and just really delve more into, into reading. Um, cause it's, it's the best way to, uh, escape. Isn't that funny? Like we have all these things like virtual reality. We have social media, we have TV shows, movies, we have everything. I mean, I'm old. So I remember back when like the TV turned off at a certain time, like there was just no more programming. You got this like fireplace and this loud noise and it was done for the night. But with all of these like advancements, I don't know about you, but it's still a book. Like there's something about it that just like sucks your entire soul out of your body and like puts it somewhere entirely different. Yeah, oh, I I absolutely agree. Um, like TARDIS in pages. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it transports you to a different place, a different time. Um, and yeah, when when you have when you have a bad book, it's hard to immerse yourself. When you mm. have a really good book, like it, it's amazing how how much you can care about the characters, how much you can care about the story, and and. Uh, like I said, put, just put yourself in, in a different place, just be able to immerse yourself. Isn't it magic? Like I, I was going to be an English teacher. That was, that was going to be my job. I wanted to be a high school English teacher more than anything, because I was a really sick kid. I spent months in bed as a kid and I had hippie parents, so no television. And they would just, my dad would go out and buy me any book I wanted. So I had like stacks of Greek mythology and all these other books. And that, that got me through a lot. And then in high school, we had a more progressive education and we got these incredible books by people from other countries, other cultures, other time periods and reading. I'm a history freak, but reading it from someone else's perspective, I felt like it was one of the best ways to jumpstart empathy. Like in a world where we live in our bodies, our reality is our brain. You get to like put your own brain aside (laughs) and inhabit someone else's mind in this incredibly intimate way and experience everything that someone else is experiencing in a life, a time, a place you might never get to be in. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think one of the things that I, I learned uh, early on from reading was, was empathy, you know, and like, I read a lot of books about, um, like fiction books about like characters that are like dealing with, uh, mental illness and, and, um, and then, yeah, I love reading about, uh, characters from, uh, different backgrounds, um, because yeah, I, I don't, necessarily think that I am great at empathizing with other people. Um, It's something that I still uh, need to work on. I think it's something everyone needs to work on. Um, But, you know, I I still, it it gives you that emotional intelligence. It it helps to kind of build it up. That's a beautiful way to phrase that. It builds emotional intelligence. And in a world where most of our reading is reading these tweets or these little like 240 word captions where someone's trying to be concise and eloquent, hopefully they're trying to be 
eloquence and kind, but you only get 240 characters to do that. I think we lose a lot in that shortening of our thoughts. Like we have this ability to like talk to anyone anywhere, but it's in these little itty bitty paragraphs. I don't know if it quite gets across like what we're really trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely feel like, um, you know, with anything you say, it's like you need tons of, you know, subordinate clauses to to (laughs) really be able to make your point um, and make it well. Uh, And then, yeah, I I feel like social media is just, yeah, it it just, it removes nuance because people aren't trying to be nuanced. You're, you're, You're just trying to get out every thought that you have um you know because everyone has to have an opinion and and about everything whether you're an expert or not Mm -hmm. and it feels like we're pressured to have opinions too like if you're not commenting on this you're obviously for or against something it's like I, i honestly just don't understand it yet like right yeah and i definitely feel like i fall into that trap where where it's kind of um, I, I don't feel the need to speak out on everything. Um, and in many ways, I'm, I'm nervous to just speak out about uh, stuff, you know, um, because my, my parents raised me with the idea like, you know, if an, an employer goes on your page and they see you being too political or whatever, um, they're not going to want to hire you. And you know, I, I, I feel like I, I uh, don't care as much about that now, but I'm, I'm trying to break that because there, there's so many things that I feel like aren't political, like they're not political issues. They're, oh, my they're goodness. Just, you know, like, like, yeah. Um, yeah, I just see everything with like, even with all of these uh, shootings that have been happening, I, I'm just like. How is this a political issue? Yeah. yeah. How, how is COVID a political issue? How is climate change a political issue? Yep. Everyone with a pulse, this is affecting. Like, how? Right. And, and I, I feel like, you know, um, yeah, there, there's, I feel like it gets to a point where there's only so much that you can say uh, that it's like, no, I, I have to step away from this now. I... I'm done. Um, and that doesn't make you a bad person. It, it just, it's, there's only so much I, f- I feel you can do. And sometimes you just gotta take a break from it. It's such a weird space for me because like Twitter is such a love hate relationship. It's where I've met most of my now friends. Mm-hmm. I, like it's the place that I like find really cool people. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're awesome. And I'm such a seven-year-old. I will literally tell someone we're not friends we need to talk. I totally like you. And then I end up becoming friends with them. It's wonderful. I love that aspect of it, but it's this weird open room of like people who have no problems telling you to go die. And it's for nothing. Like, it's not like I I have a very strong rule of not dehumanizing anyone. I will talk to anyone. Sometimes I even try thought experiments of talking to someone who's yelling at me and seeing if we can actually come to a good place um, just to see if I can do it it's entertaining when I'm bored. Um, but I just won't dehumanize anyone and to have to take all of that on as you know, someone's just telling you like your life means nothing. You can just go die. And then like a whole bunch of other comments because I have ovaries and how, you know, my opinion should not matter because of so many external factors. It's a weird space, but I can't quite give it up. (laughs) Yeah, me either. And I feel like I feel like I try and do that. Too. That's a large part of the reason why I get into so many conversations that I shouldn't because it, it's this weird thing of, you know, this weird thing of not wanting to dehumanize people and, and wanting to try and reach that understanding. Um, and then it's like, they just, they just don't want to come to that uh, understanding. And so, or, you know, they don't want to meet at a middle ground. And so then, you know, the anger just kind of pulses inside of you and, 
And then, yeah, it's one of those things where, again, I, I just have to walk away because I'm like, okay, like I'll try again with someone else because, uh, because I'm a glutton for punishment. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, some people you just can't get through to and, and, you know, I guess you have to look at it from the perspective of, you know, not, not everyone that's online is, is someone that is trying to, um, just be like a bad faith actor. There's, there are plenty of good people, uh, to be found online. And, and like I said, that's why I still engage with like these fandom communities. Um, they can be incredibly toxic, but even in those communities, there are good people. So it's just one of those things where you have to realize that just because you might be talking to someone that's not the greatest, doesn't come off as the greatest person that not everyone's like that. But it also has so much community to it. Like I have a rare disease and to be able to go to a group of people and go, Hey, am I dying? Or is this Eller Stanlos? Am I dying? Or is this POTS? Am I dying? Is this mast cell? Like it's so helpful to have like a whole bunch of people out there who've experienced these things and can kind of come back at you with like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, maybe you need to go to the hospital, but it could also be. And then people talk about like these random things because Eller Stanlos is life on random and right. you're like oh my god you too whoa <laughs> I didn't I thought I was going crazy but wow that's cool yeah yeah and I I need to um I, I haven't gotten too much into uh disability twitter I I need to because um definitely I know when I was younger if if I could have you know talked to an adult with spina bifida and been like, Hey, how did you do this? It would have, um, it, it would have saved a lot of trouble. Um, definitely as like, I was a middle schooler and, and starting to become more self-conscious and closed off. Um, it, you know, so there's tons of value in, uh, in those communities and um, definitely uh, it's, um, you know, it's it's something where I, I need to seek out those types of communities more, the, the ones that are a bit more positive because, you know, they're people that are trying to help. I love that, that idea of like um, being able to see when you're younger that, you know, disability exists and we don't just stay children forever. We eventually grow up and have lives and what that could actually look like. I think it would even scare parents less too. I know my dad, um, when he was told that I was this sick, cried. He was like, I don't think you'll ever get married. I don't think you'll ever have kids. Not that that's supposed to be the be all and end all being an adult, by the way, but that was apparently his idea of what my life was supposed to be. But it was just this like, how will you work? How will you do these things? And I think if he had seen more idea of what disability could have been, it would have been a lot less scary of an experience for him. And he would have been a little bit less scaring me because I was thinking wheelchairs sound pretty good. I, personal space as a teenager in the nineties and being grabbed all the time, the right. idea of personal space guaranteed sound pretty good to me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and my parents, I mean, so I was born in, in 95. So I, Oh my goodness. Was, oh, wow. <laughs> That's the year I graduated. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's one. Um, yeah, and and I I feel like I was the first, maybe not the first generation, but I know for my parents, um, like they went to parent support groups. My mom mm. had uh, uh, a group of women uh, that were all going through uh, pregnancies with uh, kids that were going to have spina bifida, um, and. Uh, I, I think it was very helpful for her to kind of have that support. Um, I remember there was, so at the physical therapy place that I was going to be going to my mom uh, before I was born, went there and she met a little boy uh, that had spina bifida 
And I think that kind of helped her kind of see like, okay, like this, this kid's doing okay. My child will be okay too. And I think that was very um, reassuring for her. Um, but yeah, in terms of, I don't know if they ever met like uh, disabled adults uh, or, or anything like that. I, I think actually, no, they're, there, there was one uh, girl that was actually a, a teenager around that time uh, that she met. And, and I think that also um, was kind of confirmation that like, okay, my kid can have a, a, a good life. Um, but yeah, yeah, for me, it, it would have, and, and I think that probably influenced the way that they raised me and, and why they encouraged um you know, didn't discourage me from uh, things and, and only encouraged because, you know, they, they had these examples uh, to kind of go off of. Now you talked about that you're getting a new house. Yep. And I am really jealous um, <laughs> because we've, we've moved a few times because of my disability. And each time I think we found the house that I could age into because I got way too optimistic at where my disability, which is degenerative, was going to stop. And I was wrong. So I'm daydreaming about the idea of like buying land and building an accessible house that I could access all of it. Right. What are you the most excited about with your new house? Is there any features that you got put in that you're like, oh, I can't wait? I think the main one um, is just having a, an accessible shower. Um, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, um, that. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's something that, uh, I haven't really been able to do, uh, without assistance. Um, so finally being able to, uh, give that a go, I think is going to be real cool. Um, I've also talked to my parents about just making a laundry room that is big enough, uh, so that I could, you know, learn to do my own laundry. Um, I think we're uh, gonna add in like a smaller counter in our kitchen uh, so that like, if I wanted to make a sandwich or, you know, prepare a meal or something, uh, I could potentially do that. Um, so yeah, the, I mean, those are the main things because those are areas where, um, like I said before, uh, I need to be more independent. I so hear that. Like the kitchen thing is killing me because I love to bake. I love cooking. I like good food a lot. It was being a ballerina for years and I discovered butter at the end of it. And that was it done. Food is actually good. I had no idea for like 20 years that food tasted great. Right. And so now I love food and the kitchen is like, it's all on one level. The whole house is on one level, but that doesn't mean that the doorways are big enough for a wheelchair. Right. It doesn't mean that my shower doesn't have, like, it has a seat in it. So I was like, oh, this will be fine. There's a seat in the shower, but there's a lip on it and you cannot get a wheelchair into the bathroom anyway. So it's like, it, it was just an underestimation on my part. Yeah. Um, yeah. And even here where we're staying now, it's not like the picture of accessibility. Like in order for me to get dressed in the morning and be able to like roll up to my sink, I have to open the the cabinet doors and like make a little area. Um, and then we've got a fridge where like, if I want to get into the freezer, it's up top. So mm. I have to like really stretch and uh, that can be very annoying. Um, so definitely I'm, I'm I will be happy to have some of the freedoms that uh, I had in our old house back. Mm. Yeah. What's accessibility like? And I've never been to your state. Um, yeah. So I have no concept of what your state is like at all. What's the, the accessibility like? Because I can tell you in, in California where we're supposed to be so liberal and progressive. Right. It's awful. There are like there's one city in my area that I can get around only on the main street. And yeah. like Berkeley is a nightmare. We just get thrown out of our wheelchairs that it's you cannot use a wheelchair on the street. Most of our towns, even ones that have just been redone, no wheelchair parking at all. Uh, so what's it like where you are? Please tell me it's better. 
Um, yeah, yeah, it's better, you know. Um, yeah, I don't think I've had too many issues like with the roads or, you know, like straights or anything. Um, I will say when I lived in Illinois, our downtown area, I grew up in a town called Lockport and the downtown area was just awful with, they, they didn't upkeep the streets. It, it was terrible. And here it hasn't been, uh, yeah, it hasn't been too bad. Um, yeah. And like, we don't, we're not dealing with like, you know, pills or, or, um, yeah, there it's, it's been relatively, uh, okay to get around. That's good to hear. I'm glad to hear that. I hope your public transportation is better than ours is over here for wheelchairs is you can't use a wheelchair on public transportation in the Bay area. It's, it's not safe or pop or possible. Yeah. I, uh, I need to try the public transport. Like, like I said, I'm, I'm with my parents. What, what, when, when I said that, like, I'm never alone, I am never alone. I am with my parents pretty much 24 seven. Um, so if I'm going out, like they're driving me places, um, so yeah, public transport is something that I have not used too terribly much. Um, but like, yeah, I, I know even like when I was looking to go to college, I, I was looking for like, can I get public transport to take me? And it was either very expensive or uh, the bus stop was like two miles down the road. And it's like, okay, well, I'm not obviously not going to wheel myself all this way. Um, so, um, but yeah, it is something that uh, I'll need to check out. I, I would like, I used Uber once, um, maybe twice, but uh, the one time I could think of, I used it and I was still using a cane and ended up dislocating my legs because the guy parked on the other side of the street and I had to rush over right. with a cane. And then the car was too low to the ground and yeah, totally like got out of the car and there was this loud snapping sound <laughs> like this on the other side. And like the, um, our, we have BART here, uh, which is our big train system. And the wheel, the um, elevators are always out of service. So you go to San Francisco and there's only like four stops or five stops anyway in San Francisco, because I don't know whoever planned this was definitely um, entertaining. And uh, you don't know which elevator is going to work at which station. So you can't plan to go to these places because the elevator might not work at your stop. Um, and then of course there's a cleanliness issue and whatever's on the ground is on your hands. If you're using a a push wheelchair, um, which makes Bart extra gross. So gross. (laughs) Yeah. I, I've, yeah, I've used public transport. Like we were in Boston several years ago and we used the subway and, um, it, it was fine. Um, but I know, uh, one big issue with like public transport um, or or an area where we see more of an issue is like if we're going to the airport. Um, When we lived in Illinois, we would fly out of O'Hare and their shuttle Mm -hmm. uh, would never, that ramp would never work. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, it's, it's a pain in the butt already, but definitely like if it's like, 8 30 at night and you're you know getting home from a flight that's been delayed for two hours uh to have that happen it it is just so ridiculous i've been left on a plane after an 11 hour flight for an hour because they forgot to get me a wheelchair and they wouldn't let me use my own wheelchair so i had to use the their wheelchair and they wouldn't let my husband push me because they needed to get a person but that person was on break so i had to sit for another hour on a plane. We need a real disability rights redo. Our ADA thing is not even close and we need like real reforms on airplanes. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I've had, uh, you know, 
uh, like the brakes on my chair get broken. Um, my ultimate fear. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's always my fear that, um, that, uh, you know, yeah, they're going to break it. They're going to lose it. Uh, whenever we're on a plane, I'm like, okay, who's, who's watching, who's, who's watching my, my dad's usually on watch to make sure that, that it gets loaded in. Um, and he usually like gets a flight attendant to double check and, but it, yeah, it's such a fear to think, you know, four hours on a plane and then, oh no, you don't have a chair anymore. Yeah. Um, (laughs) yeah, Disability is an expensive hobby. We have to pay so much extra for every little thing we want to do. It costs so much more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we've hit an hour and I would kidnap you all day, (laughs) but I want to be mindful of your time too. Is there anything that we didn't catch that you were like dying to talk about? Oh boy. Uh, I don't know. um, I don't. Anything you want to plug aside from like the new doctor, which looks totally awesome. (laughs) Um, I don't really have anything to plug. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. I've tossed around the idea about blogging about uh, Doctor Who. I love the stuff you talk about. Like you're so much fun on Twitter. (laughs) You really should have a blog. Yeah, maybe I will do that. I uh, I uh, I used to have a, a blog um, right out of college. I, I was blogging about This Is Us for a while. That that lasted That's about true. a month uh, before I gave it up. Um, but it's something I've toyed with with uh, just going through the Russell T Davies era. Mm-hmm. Just for- and he's coming back. Yeah, I, well, yeah, and that's that's why I decided that that might be a cool thing to do. I would love to see it. I know your energy is limited, but I would love to see that. Yeah. Oh, thanks so much for coming on. No, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. We've stopped 